Welcome to the EQ Podcast. Hey, welcome to the EQ Podcast. It's a show focused on equipping ministry leaders within the Calvary Chapel Association in the Pacific Northwest. I'm your host, Zach Lamberson, and with me today is Pastor Steve Winery of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities in Kennewick. And uh, we're at our annual ministry conference, so we're going to have a number of in-studio guests over the next few weeks. And with us today is Pastor uh, Brett Williams from Calvary Chapel, Chapel Woodby Island. I was going to get that out all yes. really smooth, and then I butchered no, it right like, there. Yeah, end. you did. You, you fell apart right <laughs> at the end. Calvary Chapel, Woodby Island. How long have you been at Woodby, Brett? Uh, Almost Brett? 15 years. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Can you believe it? Wow, that went fast. It really yeah. did. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just uh, it's a little ferry ride, a little bit north of Seattle, and then about a 20-minute ferry ride to Woodby Island. It's a... Uh, about an hour from south to north end, and about eighty thousand people on the island. So it's a unique community. Yeah, I bet. So just real quick before we even get into some questions about your ministry and what you're doing there, I'm just curious, like as a general, like your a bio, you know, your biography, a quick like this is how I got saved. This is mm-hmm. how I got into ministry. Could you just kind of explain what that looked like for you? Yes. Yeah, so I came to the Lord with my little brother Scott. In 1976 at the Billy Graham Crusade in the Kingdom. Really? We went down front and uh, uh, subsequently walked away from the Lord in my teenage years and was playing music um, and rededicated my life in June of 1984. So I was playing in some bands around town. The drummer and I quit the band that we were in and we started a little band of our own mm-hmm. and started writing songs about our faith and had a music career for for several years uh got signed and dropped from various labels in nashville <laughs> and uh um and during that process i was playing around at a lot of churches obviously and people would start to say hey if you ever you know have you ever thought about just doing worship if you ever are getting tired of traveling just let us know yeah, and it was the first time I'd ever even considered something like that, because uh, we had a set in our concerts where we would do work, congregational kind of worship with the yeah. crowd, and and I really enjoyed it, but I never thought about it as a calling or a vocation, and um, ended up coming on staff at Calvary Fellowship, um, my pastor Wayne Taylor's church. I was there for fifteen years as the music guy and did media and other stuff. Right. Um, and that was how, that was how the Lord drew me into that. And so you're a, a second generation, uh, you know, Wayne came, I don't know, did he come out of Chuck's church down in, in California? He didn't come out of Chuck's church, but he was, he was in those formative stages of Calvary Chapel. Yeah. Especially in the Northwest. I yes. Mean, he's like, yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, he brought me on at a time when I started going to Calvary Fellowship, we were real close to the UW in Seattle, University of Washington. A lot of artists, a lot of young people. And a guy named Dave Doherty was there leading worship when I first started going from that era. He wrote, um, come let us worship and bow mm-hmm. down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker. You want to sing it for us? You oh, got a guitar. I, I don't do it as well as him. <laughs> but uh, he was 
kind of my first influence. I'd never seen a guy lead worship before. I didn't grow up in the church. Okay. Had no exposure to the Christian faith, really, in my family. Um, and I just was, I was very impacted by it. So Dave was the first guy that I saw leading worship there. He was definitely that first generation of worship leaders. Right. Um, and then when I took over, it was, you know, like you said, second gen. It was like the 80s and 90s where some of the younger guys that were growing up at the Calvaries at the time started getting on the platform and leading worship more and writing songs. You know, those guys that more young guys that were writing songs, just like in the early days of Calvary when Tommy and Chuck and all these guys were just writing tunes. Yeah. Um, and it was no intention of it being an industry. That was never part of it. Mm-hmm. I was having this conversation earlier today. When, when we started doing it, we weren't looking over the shoulders of our people to try to think of a career or a movement that we could start. We just were writing songs for our church family, and it was for that moment, those people in that place. Mm-hmm. It seems like, you know, uh, the idea of creating something that extended beyond those walls wasn't really a, our first thought. So that was the kind of the second generation that I, I grew up in, and that was, you know, Holland Davis as part of this leadership conference that we're doing right now. And he and I and, and a lot of these other guys were coming up at the same time. Love it. Yeah. That, that period of time, you know, the early Jesus movement and the, and the songs, one of the things that impacted me the most was they didn't have hymnals. Right. You know, so, I, you know, the, the only experience I'd have with church was with my grandma. Mm-hmm. And you walked in and they had a hymnal, hymnal and they're, you know, they're all singing in, in C and, mm-hmm. you know, everything's high, you know, <laughs> yeah. that, that kind of stuff. And it was just, you walked in and, and a guy's got a guitar and he says, open up to Psalm whatever. And you open up there and he's just singing out of the Bible. That's so great. It was so, it was really cool. And then uh, kind of second generation still, still carried that, that attitude towards worship on. It was, mm-hmm. it was like, it, it, it became really a foreign thing mm-hmm. when guys started getting into the whole, I want to be on a label and, yeah. you know, and all that kind of stuff. It was just, it was kind of a bummer. But. And Maranatha, I mean, they were, they were a oak tree of congregational, modern congregational worship. I mean, they were the first ones that started, like Tommy Walker and a lot of these guys, they started bringing these guys in because... Um, they were impacting their church communities and their songs were moving outside of those churches and other people were singing them and mm-hmm. yeah, it was cool. Yeah. So have you, uh, you know, we've been talking a lot on these, on this podcast just cause it's fresh. Have you got a chance to see the Jesus revolution? I've seen it twice. I loved it. Did you weep a whole bunch? I did. I got very <laughs> emotional and you know, I'm on the tail end of it. So I yeah. didn't get to experience it like a lot of these guys did. Um, but I'd heard all the stories because when I was a young worship leader, Chuck would come, you know, mm-hmm. Steve was at these conferences at Warren Beach and stuff, mm-hmm. and Chuck would come and we'd hear these stories about how God moved, and it was so exciting. So to see that kind of, kind of represented on the big screen, I, I just found it really energizing. Like it, it made me excited and proud to be a Calvary Chapel, to, Definitely to recapture uh, 
some of that sweetness and innocence that they had in those early days and to pray for a revival. I mean, the, yeah. the stage is totally set. Yeah, exactly. In so many ways, what was going on then is what's going on now. So I, I found it very, very exciting. Yeah, I, I, I walked away with a weird feeling of nostalgia, yeah. even though I wasn't there. Totally, <laughs> I was like, it was very, it was very unique, and I, you know, like I said, very proud of our uh-huh. movement. Like it was yeah. like, yeah, I'm from the Calvary Chapel. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah so the, the, the very first Sunday after I saw the movie, I had to do the Chuck would hold up the yeah. Bible and say, oh, yeah. Yeah, "This is yeah. God's word. Yeah, let's yeah. study it together. Let's open it up together." I had to do that. What a great thing! <laughs> yeah. So on that on that idea, you know, um, one of the questions you're going to be addressing in a breakout at this conference is, as Calvary Chapel worship leaders, how do we blend blend legacy with new artistry? You mm-hmm. know, looking back towards our roots and seeing how God, you know, really there was there was a birth of a movement, but also music. You know, as you said, modern worship music was really born out of that out of that movement. So how do you how do we blend? Okay, what happened then? With what God's doing now, because the you know the modern church worship movement is all over the place. Yes. There's all kinds of spectrums of artistry mm-hmm. and people doing stuff. And so, what are your thoughts on that, Brett? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I, how to remember our roots and put down new ones? I think is something that Calvary's in my years. I it seems to me that they do it kind of organically every few mm-hmm. years. Um, there's a lot of worship leaders that there's this resurgence of popularity. A lot of young worship leaders that I'm finding a resurgence of popularity in that style of early Jesus music. Yeah. I think there's a, there's a um, I think it's from Australia, City of Light. Yeah, I love those guys. Doesn't that stuff sound like old? I don't know. I don't do, listen well, to Have that. you heard any of it? No, I haven't, heard, I haven't heard these guys. It really uh, sounds... Can we do some of this, like, Yet Not I But Christ Through Me yeah. is a song that they sing. Oh, yeah. But, I mean... But a lot of their stuff sounds like old You're talking about the actual stuff. production of it, though, right? Well, even the songwriting. The songwriting, Even too. the songwriting, even the vocal delivery sounds like Maranatha Band. Hmm. Yeah. And these are young people, you know? And yeah. I, have, I have worship leader friends that are in their 30s, and it's like they're rediscovering all these songs that I was doing... Uh, you know, when I was in my 20s at Calvary because those are the songs that we were singing at the time. Mm-hmm. So I see, I see an, an homage to our legacy in those kinds of things that every few years we get that kind of nostalgia for, man, everything's kind of starting to sound the same these days, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, what are some fresh songs, some fresh approaches, fresh songwriting style that'll kind of, you know, inspire us again Hmm. so i see that happening um i've seen it happen several times where you'd start to see guys my age that started writing new songs and then guys that we raised up were writing new songs um that recollection that reconnection to the older songs there's this new wave of creativity to recapture some of that in brand new songs Mm -hmm. yeah I love it that they're, you know, I, I like the idea that, um, like you said, it's an homage to the to the 70s and uh, 70s style of worship and, and that kind of stuff. But the Bible talks about singing a new song, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so I've never, you know, I, a lot of those songs are still going through my head, mm-hmm. but I've, I've never wanted to, you know, try to take and make my congregation yes. go there. I mean, it's special for me. Um, I, I love it when 
when there are new songs that have some um, depth to them. Mm-hmm. And that was that was one of the things that was automatic with the early Jesus music, mm-hmm. music because these guys are just they're basically doing folk music mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they're they're putting it you know putting the word to folk music and, mm-hmm. it, and it was just way effective mm-hmm. and so it always meant something and uh, uh, way cool and you know it's it, it's not that you just have to use scripture songs obviously there's there's some awesome songs that. Uh, come from hymns. We we had an old one. Bob Probert was our worship leader down in uh, Riverside, and he was just really he's a really talented guy, and um, he got a hold of an old Baptist hymn. Mm-hmm. In uh, it was uh, called "In the Upper Room." In the upper room, twelve men were seated round the Lord, and as he stood to share the meal, they heard him say, "This is my body, which is broken for you. Uh, for you, I've." Uh, 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 I can't remember. For you, I've something the pain. Anyway, mm-hmm. just a just a mm-hmm. excellent song. And I remember sitting there at at, uh, at communion and hearing him sing that. And it, uh, you know, I I just grew up Calvary, mm-hmm. so I I didn't know anything else. And there were a few times when they would bring in songs that had that kind of meat to it, and I was just like, okay. This is not just about Calvary Chapel. Mm-hmm. This is there's been people who love Jesus for a long time. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, yeah. That's really good. That's a great reminder. I do have people, you know, really routinely ask for hymns at our church, and mm-hmm. I've done them. There was a period of time when you know Citizens was doing a lot of remakes of hymns, so I was doing them for a while. But I feel like I kind of did them too much, mm-hmm. and so I've, I haven't done them in a while, so when people ask me, like, I do hymns, and I'm like, really? Actually, I don't do them very often, because mm-hmm. it is one of those things you want to bring back, but then you're like, oh, I don't want to do too much. And Well, that's funny, Steve mentioned it, uh, the the seasons of uh, that the church goes through, yeah. one of the first things I think about with hymns, because they're absolutely incredible, I just kind of rediscovered that old hymn, Abide With Me. Mm-hmm beautiful song and it was written by this guy he was a pastor of a small church in brixham on brixham in england and he had tuberculosis and he was dying from it and he had to leave england for a warmer climate he was going to go to nice south of france and he was heartbroken about leaving this church knowing he would never see these people again and he wrote this song abide with me and you you see these incredible beautiful deep rich holistic biblical songs um but then i immediately think well we then but then we're dependent on media because nobody knows these verses you know Mm -hmm. they're Mm -hmm. they're very rich but they're very verbose and you're talking about six or seven stanzas that no one's going to know so you either have to have a hymnal or you got to have the words up on the screen or something like that. It can't really be an organic worship moment kind of song. No. Yeah. So you do, tend to, you do tend to shift away from some of those hymns just simply because people do not have those things stored in memory. No, I, I find that if you use them sparingly and yeah. pointedly, like be real intentional yeah. when you put a hymn in a set, and especially if you have a lot of words, and like sometimes I'll even tell people, hey, if you don't know this song, just totally. listen to it. Yeah. Like soak these words in because yeah. we don't have a lot of modern music that has some of mm-hmm. the depth of those hymns. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's that's exactly right. So you know what you know a follow up with this was made and continues to make Calvary Chapel kind of a unique voice. You think in the contemporary worship? Um, th- this is actually 
I'm glad that you asked that question because I did, when I knew that I was going to do this breakout session at the conference that we're at, I actually put a question out, that exact question out to, I don't know, 30 of my worship leader friends. So these are young guys, old guys, guys who are part of the Jesus movement, guys that are just coming out, huge churches, tiny churches, some guys that just travel itinerantly and played a lot of Calvaries. And this is, these are the things that occurred in their responses most commonly. Lyrics that are biblically sound, natural presentation, not a showy performance, not a, yep. not a heavy mm -hmm. emphasis on production, and singable. Those are the three things yep, there you go. Yep. That, that almost everybody said. And these are very disparate backgrounds, uh, skill levels, church sizes, everything. Those are the three characteristics that they think uh, really identifies Calvary Chapel worship. Now, are we the only ones exclusively in the Christian church to do that? No. no. But that's Calvary's have always been that way. Lyrics that are biblically sound, natural presentation, not a showy performance, and singable. Now, obviously, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, latitude in that, which I think Pastor Chuck was always really gracious about. Uh, Costa Mesa was very simple presentation. You know, there's no stage lights, no, mm -hmm. no hazers, so you could get beam definition <laughs> off the intelligent lighting and that kind of stuff. Um, but there's a place for that. You know, it's, it's, if it's something that can enhance the worship experience, because as worship leaders, I feel like our job is to set the table for people to worship the Lord, to come into the Lord's presence. So there's a lot of latitude for different convictions and ways that people want to utilize those kinds of elements, production elements. But I think there's kind of a simplicity and um, invisibility in the style of Calvary Chapel worship that I've always really enjoyed. There's a person up there that's leading but they're not drawing attention away from Christ. Right. That's kind of a mysterious thing. Like, how do you lead invisibly? But it's possible to do. That's a good way to put it. I like yeah. That. And I think that's part of the anointing thing. Like, some people have that. And it's not anything you could teach at a school of worship or anything. There's a lot of things you can learn that are helpful. But those are kind of X factors. I don't, I don't know that you can really quantify. Yeah. It's obvious when it's obvious when somebody doesn't have that. Yes, you know it's obvious when somebody's up there to be seen. It's um, it's obvious when um, you know I I I just totally agree with your perspective on that. It's like you when you're leading worship at some point, it needs to get past the worship leader and the focus is, is just on Jesus. Mm -hmm. I think it's exactly the same thing with teaching. Yeah, you're right. You know, when you you know, obviously a guy's going to get up and teach and you you're looking at him and you're seeing him, but if he's being effective at at some point it goes beyond that man and you're hearing from God mm -hmm. and your focus is on the Lord and on, that's that's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, that's and and if somebody asked you Steve to explain how that's done, you can't really do it. Yeah. It's not, it's not really anything that you, you can... You pray a lot before you get up there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jesus, get me out of the way. Yeah. yeah. And at the same time, I will say, and I think this is also a dynamic of how the Holy Spirit works in our lives, is when I see you up teaching, you're comfortable in your own skin. You are yourself. Mm -hmm. 
I, I've, I've heard you teach many times, and I know you as a friend, and you're the same person in both places. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, A.W., I think it was A.W. Tozer that said, never step up to the pulpit. In other words, be the same person in the pulpit as you are when you're just interacting with people. Yeah, it's a great way, I think, like you said, to describe Calvary <laughs> ministry in general is that's, you know, whether you call it laid back or casual, whatever mm-hmm. it is, that, you know, when you said that same person's going up there, Steve's the same guy you have a conversation yes. with, same as the worship leaders, they're not going up, and all of a sudden, they're a rock star. Yeah, you know? totally. They don't all of a sudden, yeah. kick on that, now we're performing mm-hmm. switch, and have a completely different mentality. Even, you know, a guy like Brandon B., you know, who is very vocal in his worship style mm-hmm. and very different than some of the Calvary guys, that's who he is. Totally. I mean, so. yeah. Yep. yeah, and I remember in my, my early days, trying really hard to figure out worship leading. I remember my, my wife, Kathleen, said one time, why do you pray in that weird voice when you're up on stage? <laughs> uh, praise, praise God for our wives. Yeah, so, yes. It was so good. I mean, she was so right. I kind of had an, I kind of put on an affectation, Lord, so good to be with you. You know, it's just, it's not the way I ever talk. <laughs> and she noticed that and called me on yes. it and it was so good. And that's that kind of thing. Like, I don't need to do that. I just, especially when you're with your church family, you know, and I, we don't have a huge church. They know me. Yeah. yeah. So anything like that is going to come off as weird and, in, you know, insincere. Yeah. Um, but those are hard things to shed because you, you do feel like, how do I do this right? And you end up overcorrecting and overcompensating and, and you have those embarrassing moments. Like, what, what in the world was I thinking? <laughs> I think that uh, a good worship leader is worshiping. Yes. You know, yeah. it's like, you can, and you can tell that too. You mm-hmm. can tell, tell when the guy's focuses on the Lord. Mm-hmm. And it's not that, that uh, you know, playing skillfully on an instrument of 10 strings is not important, mm-hmm. you know, like it, like it says, because that, could, that can be a distraction too. Yeah. You haven't practiced, you know, yeah. and, and, uh, and that kind of stuff. But um, I, I think that all, all the awesome worship leaders that I've ever seen are worshipers in the first place, mm-hmm. bes- besides the fact that they're good musicians and, mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. And they just kind of, they get up there and, and they start and you enter in and then they're gone. Yeah. And it's just all about the Lord. Yeah, and I think so much of that, I see that in you as a teacher, I see that in you, Zach, as a musician, it's like the 10,000 hour thing. Is that right? Is that what that, ex- <laughs> That's the that expression was? Yeah. Is that it's that... When you start doing it, you're consciously incompetent. Mm-hmm. You don't know what you're doing, and you know you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. And then as, as you get seasoned, you become consciously competent. Like, I'm thinking about this, and I can do it the way it needs to be done. And then after years, you get to the place where you're unconsciously competent. Like, you're certainly not... You certainly are not getting up and teaching the Bible off the cuff. Mm-hmm. You've, this stuff is stored in you. Mm-hmm. So it's certainly not that your mind is not engaged, but you, you, um, you have all the resources that you need to present it from just the experience of doing it so often. So like, you know, leading a band or whatever, I do have to be a lot more engaged because I have to think, you know, I hope the drummer doesn't forget that yeah, that right. we're going to break it down here, or whatever. You know, you're leading. It's like you're leading troops, kind of. Um, but at the same time, you should be prepared enough that you can 
worship in the moment, not just be a music director, you know. My wife was uh, just watching you guys, and she and she just went, "All these guys are having the time of their life." <laughs> just <It's true. laughs> you're really up there having true. a you know having a good time because yeah. you play with good musicians that love the Lord, and mm-hmm. it's not showy, yeah. and you just it's really fun. Oh, it's just the greatest. It's yeah. it's like it's like uh, I just feel like it's the most wonderful thing to be able to do in life. But. Um, but yeah, it's 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 definitely a there's an equilibrium that you get after you've done it a long long time, um, that I'm really grateful for. You know, I don't I don't worry about I don't stress about the small things like I used to. Um, and I've definitely gone through phases where I was worried about how it was coming off and, you know, who was doing my songs and how are records selling and all that kind of nonsense. And it's it's a huge waste of energy (laughs) why don't you um speak about song selection a little bit um i think uh those those three distinctives that i mentioned that are kind of universal in the calvaries singable uh bible solid biblical lyrics and um Presentation. Presentation, like stylistically, those kinds of things. That's a big part of song selection. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's, and there's so much, so many tastes and opinions about that kind of stuff. But I think the best, the best rule of thumb that I ever came up with was kind of hoping that the first song and the last song could basically be a run-on sentence musically and lyrically like one would just flow into the other um that's always something that i kind of keep in the back of my mind so um you're not it's not a jarring experience for people Uh, there's lots of musical stuff like that like in western music we're used to we're used to certain transitions between keys and Mm -hmm. and melody lines and things like that that you don't want to be when I was playing in bars, you just had a set list of songs. Yeah. And we're going to do the Sammy Hagar song. Here's the, you know, the <laughs> Journey song or whatever. Start, play the song, stop, do the next song. Worship is nothing like that. Right. Yeah. Like it's, it's 20 or 30 minutes where you're trying to have it be an unbroken experience that people can have in the presence of the Lord. So you think about genre. You know, you think about this song's kind of folksy or kind of country it'd be a nice natural transition to go into this song that's, you know, kind of rootsy rock. Those two, those two genres go well together. Um, same with the lyrics, like the reference point, the kind of message, the, um, that they're flowing from one thing to another. That's kind of, I don't know. That's How the about way it, key? I know that you do a lot of similar keys to kind of keep that continuity. I noticed that's one thing some... Worship bands, boom, songs over, stop, start a new song right, with right. a new key. Yeah, and so I think yeah, that, that's that's and you can do diatonic. You don't have to do the exact song in G, song in G, song in G. You can do a song in G, and you can get really naturally to C or the five chord. You, you know, you can. You're just not going to C sharp or right, B right. flat. Yeah, yeah. And trying to avoid those kinds of things, and then I think with. Um, uh, as far as keys go, there's a reason that when you were going to 
the church, church with your grandma yeah. and looking at the hymnals. It was all B flat, C. Yeah. Not great guitar keys, but as far as the overlap of human voices, the average vocal range of men and women, it's right around in that area. So you got men and women that can both sing comfortably in those keys. Um, contemporary worship like these days, some phenomenal vocalists like Phil Wickham and some of these guys are just incredible, but the songs are so high. Yeah. I can't sing them as an older man. I can't sing them anymore. And most people can't sing them. So you have to lower, you have to lower a lot of that kind of stuff and just be, be sensitive about where people's voices are at. Not where you really crush it vocally, but where everybody can sing it comfortably. Yeah. Because uh, you want them to be engaged. If they're waiting for the song to be over, then you've kind of blown, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's kind of the point of being a worship leader is yes. people are actually worshiping. Yeah. And that was a Calvary thing too, at least yeah. the way I was raised. They're the choir. Like, there are probably Calvaries that have choirs. I've never been in one. So, Me neither. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, I mean, mean, the attitude spe- was... Special events. Yeah, that special events. We've done some yeah. stuff where we yeah, had a group. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've done not, that, too. Like not a Easter. choir. We don't have a choir. I mean... Well, because the people are the choir. I mean, yeah. that's always been kind of the philosophy of it, as far as I understood, was that you want to get the people to sing. And when they're engaged and when they're singing, that's when... That's when you're working out this calling most effectively. So there's room for, you know, Brandon this morning at the session ripped off a great guitar solo. I love that kind of stuff. (laughs) There's room for that. Mm -hmm. But generally speaking, you want people to be engaged and singing. That's the reason that you're there. Um, So all of those things can, you know, play into singable keys, you know, uh, comparable worship styles genres musically um lyrically that it's kind of going from one thing to another like you are the everlasting god um you will not fail you won't grow weary and then going into another song that's that's another personal expression to god Mm -hmm. you know um those kinds of things i think lend themselves to not being distracting and as far as worship experience goes You've done some uh, you've done some worship over the years that uh, you know I was talking about uh, being a brand new Christian at, at uh, Greg Laurie's church and how worship impacted me because I'd never done it mm-hmm. before and uh, you've done some some stuff and specifically like at Warm Beach or over mm-hmm. at the over at Wayne's church that just it was obvious that you you prayed through to, through it and everything went together and then you know uh you were one of those guys that would bring in uh, a new song and sometimes it was a hymn and mm-hmm. sometimes it was you know a, a newer song that just totally went with uh well like you're talking about it just went it, it went with the set and it, mm-hmm. it was it was something that led you deeper into worship not just the set sometimes like the message i right. remember being at conferences when you did a song um it's a Leland song, uh, Carried Carry to, to the, the table. table. Yeah, you remember right, this? Right, I mean, like, right. I think the message had been about Mephibosheth. Yeah. And I don't know if you were planning it, but... Well, I think a lot of times uh, when I'm listening to the teaching, I've done mm-hmm. this with you, Steve, I've, mm-hmm. you know, Wayne, all, so many guys that I've worked with where it's like, they'll say something and I'll go, ooh, that song would be good. That would totally go with what he just said. Yeah. Um, and I, and I do, there's a lot of audibles like that where I, I'll stick something in 
because it's so appropriate. Other times, it does seem like I don't even know what Steve's teaching yeah. or whatever, and it's like it was right yeah. on the nuggets. What what we said in worship flowed perfectly into the Word, and that's just the Holy Spirit. I didn't even yeah, know anything absolutely. about it. I um, I actually expect that. Yeah, you know, it's like it's like there's been times Zach Zach does uh, worship at our church and. Zach, there's been times when you when you've just done one song after another song after another song, and you don't know what I'm going to teach. I have no idea. Like, <laughs> and it's like, oh, bam, bam. I mean, I, I could take my message from the lyrics. Yeah, the totally. Isn't that great? Yeah, it's really cool. I think the same thing happens at conferences when you have a bunch of different speakers, and you find that they're all like, "That's I was going to share that." Uh-huh. You know, everyone's because yeah. the Holy Spirit. He just stole my message. People. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. When you did that Leland song, mm-hmm. uh, Carried to the Table, it's the first time I'd ever heard it. I almost I almost burst out in tears. Oh, it's such a beautiful it's, it's song. A, that is such a good song. And it's that was su- one of those moments. Yeah. yeah. And that's such a, as far as a songwriting exercise, that is such an obscure passage. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, the this cripple that has to be carried to the king's table, but he's been invited to be an equal part of essentially David's family. Like it's such a beautiful story, mm-hmm. but kind of obscure as far as the topic yeah. for songwriting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was it just was an anointed song. Yeah, just a just a a, a great representation of what it means to be. Uh, you know, like Chuck uh-huh. was just talking about grace. Yes, totally. It's nothing but grace. Yeah, I'm not. I don't deserve this. I don't belong here. Yeah, and yet here I am. Yeah. Yeah. Fighting thoughts of fear, wondering why you called my name. Am I good enough to share this cup? That's great. It's beautiful. Yeah. Love it. Okay. We're going to wrap this up. We have a lightning round. Are you ready? Oh, yes. You're going to answer these questions. You don't have to be quick, but these are mostly short answer questions. So who's your go-to pastor to listen to, dead or alive? I'm listening to my son, Jesse Williams, a lot. All right. He's the pastor of Des Moines Gospel Chapel near the airport. He's a fantastic Bible teacher. And he's way more educated than me. And you have no bias at all. No bias. <laughs> no bias. Wow. But he just got his master's. He's going for his doctorate and you know, in seminary and just he's just a he's a really great communicator. So he's kind of my go to right now, I have to say. Well okay, how about a good read? Um, the rise and fall of um the rise and fall of the modern self i think is what it's called by um a guy named carl can't remember the author's name and it's just about the cultural moment that we live in Mm. just how how we are so obsessed with self uh it's been alluded to already at the at this conference but um he shares this great story where he says if I were to ask my great-grandfather, is your job fulfilling? He said, first of all, he never would have even thought about that question, let alone ever been asked it. And if you pressed him for an answer, he probably would say something like, well, it puts food on the table. I remember my yeah. dad saying stuff like that. Yeah. He hated his job that he worked at for decades, but he was living for his family. Yeah. Now everything is about I don't find this marriage fulfilling. You know, I don't enjoy what I do. I'm not comfortable in my skin. You know, I think I'm a different gender or whatever. Everything has to do with how I'm being impacted 
in an unprecedented way. I mean, the human race has never been so self-absorbed. Absolutely. So that's something that he touches on a lot in this book is just this cultural moment that we're living in where it has nothing to do with community. My life has to do with being totally satisfied and fulfilled in every way or I need to find something that you know will accomplish that. Love it. Last question. One piece of advice for someone in full-time ministry. What's your takeaway? You've been in ministry for, well, your own church 15 years. Sounds like 30 years in total. So what's a big picture piece of advice you just want to encourage guys who are in ministry, maybe who are struggling or just trying to keep going? Um, it's so funny that you say that because I remember the theme of so many conferences that I went to as a young man, persevere. Mm-hmm. Chuck would always talk about persevere because there will be so many times. And I went through it. I mean, we all went through it probably in the last three years where I just said, I just don't know if I I can do this anymore. Uh, But God does such great things through the waiting, through the heartache, through the, you know, there has to be suffering and death for there to be life. That's the gospel. And it works the same way in our lives as it worked in Jesus's life. He had to be crushed and broken so we could have life we have to go through hard things so we can have life in our families and our marriages our ministries you got to persevere i i actually have one more question i wanted to ask him because no. this is for pastors yeah and most of the pastors aren't worship leaders mm-hmm. so what uh piece of advice would you give a pastor as far as uh, dealing with and encouraging his worship leader um something that i always heard was this, the pastor is the worship leader of the church, which I always, I totally understood that. I get it. I still get it. Um, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine who said, you know, the worship leader is the worship leader of the church. <laughs> and he says, I, I have, I, I raised up a guy that I trust, that I love. He's going to make mistakes. He's going to figure it out. But I want him to have the freedom to, lead God's people in worship. That's his church family. That's his gifting. That's why I put him in the role that he's in. Let him do his thing. I I think that's a good, that's a good thing. Cause I am, I am now I've been on both, you know, I've looked at life from both sides now, as Johnny Mitchell (laughs) would say. Uh, I've been a worship leader and I've been a senior pastor and I do really appreciate give, give your worship leaders freedom to lead Trust God's spirit working through them uh, in a way that you don't have to stress about. You don't have to micromanage it. You don't do that. I've never seen Steve do that. You may have opinions about things, mm-hmm. but you give, you give your guys a huge amount of freedom to be who they are. Yep. That would be my encouragement. Love it. Thanks, Brett. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, man, appreciate the time. And it was fun. Yeah, just good insight. Like, we, you know, this is for ministry leaders but having a worship guy that's Mm -hmm. been around for a long time is really good the eq podcast is here as a resource for our listeners check us out at eqministry.com on our website you'll find a variety of helpful tools including past ministry conferences and a contact form to seek out help or counsel from seasoned calvary pastors who want to encourage you in your serving or answer your ministry related questions until next time god bless